DJ and PK, we're joined now by the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Get an iPhone 11 on us when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease and eligible trade-in now through December 5. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning. I just want to let you know I have a sneaking suspicion PK's connection will work um, once I'm done. Well, I'll let you know. I have my I have my Bay Area people taking care of it. All right, let me know how that goes. Or, for you. or I was blocking him until he I was done, so I didn't have to talk to him. One you of the, two. the you have that power apparently. Mm-hmm. Do you have the power to fix what ails the Utah Jazz? Because the last seven games have not looked yep. like the first fifteen games. Some of that is the quality opposition. They played some of the best teams in the league, and they clearly weren't good enough. But why weren't they good enough? What has happened? Well, so y- y- your first question, I do. I absolutely, I have what I do. I have what ails the Jazz, and it's Memphis and Orlando and Charlotte, and um, hopefully that'll Golden State and Atlanta, and hopefully that'll that'll help out a great deal coming up here. Um, you know, the teams we played were on a different level than us right now. We're not we're not at that point yet, and they were way better than we are, and they are great. Like we universally played. Uh, very, very good teams. Uh, Toronto hasn't looked as good since Kyle Lowry's come back because I think he's just discombobulated them a little bit. But, you know, the Lakers are as good as anyone in the NBA. If they're not the best in the NBA, Milwaukee is. And Philadelphia hasn't lost at home. And Toronto's as about as good as Milwaukee. So those were four teams that are just better than us right now. And the next stretch of teams we're playing are not better than us, hopefully. Um, if we have equally... You know, I think some of that also gets to do with depth. Like the big moment for us is when... Once we get off the starters, it's been pretty ugly. Like, in the four losses, the starters are plus 14. But the bench has been annihilated. So it, minus, eight, minus 87 when the five starters are not on the floor. So what is the plan? Is it better? I guess the simple thing, and I've gotten hit up by on Twitter with people with this, is it better to put the bench out there together and just get through that 10 to 12 to 15 minutes, whatever it is, as fast as possible and hope somehow they trade some hoops and hang around? Or you constantly have two or three starters out there with two or three bench guys and you never put your best lineup up there, but hopefully you don't get annihilated, although I think generally they do. So... um they do. So this is interesting because I think this might be a case where the numbers say one thing and reality is something else. The numbers so are lying. Math- I never thought I'd hear David Locke say that. Okay. Yeah. So math- mathematically, the answer is if you have a really good starting five, just play them. Denver's doing it right now. They're playing their starters 49% of the minutes. Just play them as many minutes as you possibly can and then just duck and take cover for the rest of the night. Um, And, you know, like Denver's bench, which a lot of people make a big deal about how good it is, it's awful. Um, It's like minus 15 and Denver starters are like minus plus 15. But if they're plus, you know, but if plus 15's on for 34 minutes and minus 15's only on for 14 minutes, then you come out really well. And that, you know, in... That that's how math works, and it's. But I'm not sure that losing the flow of a game that badly in the middle of the game is actually you can isolate it like that, right? So what we're really doing when we put it on paper is just completely isolating 
the different aspects of the game saying, well, numbers will take over numbers. But there is something to like, if your bench is that bad and the other team goes on a 16 to six run, but when you bring your other guys back in, they're on the wrong side of a 16, six run. When they come back in, I don't think they can just flip the switch. Like particularly on the road, the arena's going, those guys feel good about themselves. I am not sure that it really works in a capsule in that fashion. Do you, you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. That, I do. Yeah. And so I think that's a time where numbers might lie. Um, but I, but what also doesn't work is exactly what you're talking about, which is you play your starters for five minutes, they're plus three, and then you intermix that it depending on your team. And for the Jazz, let me just say this: for the Jazz, this does not seem to be working. You intermix them with the rest of the group, and to to cover up your weaknesses. Right now, all that's happening is you're negating the value of your best players because that's just not working. And some of the numbers are stunning. I mean, the minute we take one of our primary Donovan, Mike, Boyan off the floor, the offense just goes away. And so that's the concern. That's what has to be figured out is what can be done so that the minute, like, it'd be fine if you're just like, oh, well, if we take Mike off the floor, we're fine with Boyan and Donovan, so then we can just go lead, we'll go play Mike with the bench unit, right? That would be, like, that's the easy math. You go look at that and say, oh, that's the answer. That doesn't exist right now for out there. Like, when, when, the, when Mike Conley is off the floor, the offense is a 100.5, which is in the eighth percentile of all offenses, according to cleaning the glass. When Donovan goes off the floor... Again, Boyan and Mike could still be on the floor, right? Just just Donovan's off the floor. You end up with, I think we're in like the second percentile. And when Boyan goes off the floor, we're in the same situation. So that's the really tricky thing that's going on right now. So how come the bench isn't better? The Jazz, we've seen the Jazz have put together some pretty good bench units and had some talent on the bench. Now, I know they spent a lot more money on the starting five, and so maybe that's the simple, maybe the short answer, the simple answer is is spot on, but it's hard to believe the bench has been this bad, and yet we get a 20-game sample, 22-game sample now. It's it's pretty substantial. It it really, it has been that bad. How Why why not like previous Um, years where there was some help on the bench? Well, I think this might be a little bit of what happens when you have $30 million players. Yeah. And we just haven't had that before. And we have two of them now. You spent all the money on the starters, so the bench isn't as good. Period. End of story. Right. No long explanation needed. Right. Without, like, I don't want to, like, single out players. but So our bench unit is two minimum players. What, a mid-level, not quite the binary or whatever exception which is you know three million dollars um and then uh, you know an 11 million dollar player who needs to play better um right now and so other and then an 11 million dollar player who's coming off an injury or nine million whatever he is right so when you're you know if you're playing minimum players in theory there's a reason 
Like that, right? There's a right. reason you're paying your thirty million dollar player thirty million dollars, and there's a reason you're playing your million dollar player a million dollars. So, um, do you think that the Jazz will be active when their guys are hitting buyouts and that? I mean, Portland going to Carmelo, man, it felt like a long shot. I didn't think it was going to help much, but he's clearly giving them a boost, and they're going to guarantee the contract now for the the rest of the year. Is there somebody the Jazz could scoop up midseason? Somebody you think might be coming available that would help? Well, Portland did something I strongly believe in. Like, if you have that person in your lineup that is just a tr- just a tremendous negative plus minus, um, uh, you can replace them. You you actually can replace them with something that's like average or even below average, and still get a huge uptick. Like, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers in the league is how. Or not misnomers. I think something that's not talked about enough, at least in the media, I don't, I've never been in a front office, is the impact of negative is far more to me than the impact of positive. Like negative's really, really detrimental because there's so few players that are that positive that it's hard to overcome the negative. Um, you know, and so if you have somebody who's plus minus is, is really horrendous um, and you replace it, even if you don't replace it dramatic, you know, with something that's great, you just replace it with something that's solid. It's, it's usually a little stunning on how much you uptick. That's where Portland was, right? They, they had started Nazar little in their last game um, at that position. Um, they had been, you know, the Anthony Tolliver, I think if I remember correctly, it was like minus 15 differential when they're on and off the floor. He was their, he was their starting pat when Zach Collins went out. Like Zach Collins was like plus 15, and then they went to a minus 15 in their with their next start. Well, then if you bring in Carmelo and let Carmelo just be average, he's good. If you know, That's he probably upgrade. actually right. becomes like a plus six or plus seven. So you, um, you know, that I think is something we could look into if time goes on and some of our plus-minus numbers are at, are what they are now. So that's where the that's, Carmelo thing works. Sorry, it was kind of a long way to get there. All right, so that's a, that's a longer-term answer. Shorter-term, how about just play better? And when the players talk about it, and, you know, I know that there's only some things they can say because some things they can't, so they got to stick with some st- some stuff that's safe. But when you hear players talk about, well, we got to control, we control, we can all control running back hard on defense – Okay, well, I don't know why that went away, but if that's a problem, how about fixing it? Do you think that they bottomed out getting lit up by the Lakers and have the Lakers dancing on the baseline there late in the game and that they bottomed out and now whatever the issues are, they let them go and focus on not ever letting that happen again and at least fixing it versus the Grizzlies? Yeah, I mean, I would think so. Um, It's hard, though, on the concept of – like when we say play better, do we mean shoot better? Do we mean just play more focused and detailed? Well, I mean, the end of the first quarter, like, is probably what bothered me more than anything. It's a thirty to twenty-six game, and you just totally mismanage the two for one, and next thing you know, you're down nine or ten or whatever it was. Like that's brutal. Um, and then they did it at the end of the first half too. Like they were getting blown out, so it's hard to look at a nineteen-point game at halftime. I think is what it was. Wasn't it like sixty? 527 or something, or 47 or something like that, so 18. Like, it's hard to look at an 18-point game and say, well, you misplayed the end of each quarter, but they really did. Like, I think they cost themselves 10 points in the final 30 seconds of the first and second quarters. Like, that stuff's weird to me. Um, Particularly, Joe was culprit on one of them, where I think he shot with, you know, he took his runner with, like, six seconds left, allowing Kuzma to go the other way for a... 
for a for a three, and then at the end of the first half, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something similar where um, I think we we had the ball with LeBron missed with like 50 seconds left, and we jumped took the took our first shot. I think we took our shot at 40, which gave them enough time to go two for one, and they hit back to back threes. Um, so I mean, it was just kind of like you know, it was one of those things where it's like, whoa, like what are we doing? Um, so those kind of things, I think, and just definitely watching the first half there's a lot of no pass possessions that then lead to no like no pass possessions lead to no transition running like i that that that, that is totally connected you go down don't pass the basketball the guys are not sprinting back defensively there's never been an nba player in the world that's ever done that do all the points off turnovers bug you i think they're 20th in the league now and how many points they've coughed up off of turnovers um live ball turnovers um particularly in Toronto, were problematic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think I hate turnovers because I think the stat is so badly counted, right? You know, the bounce pass on the baseline trying to hit the corner three guy that goes out of bounds, and they st- take it they take it from out of bounds against the set defense. It's just so dramatically different than Boyan Bogdanovich trying to turn the corner at the top of the free throw line and someone stealing it for a run out going the other way, right? Like, that's um, – those are – so I don't, you know, I struggle a little bit with turnovers in the conversation. But live ball turnovers, particularly those free throw line and above, are catastrophic. You do it three times a night, you'll lose. You know, we did it like ten times. And, um, you know, our defense is the fifth best defense in the NBA after a defensive rebound. So um, if we want to really get into it, it would seem to be that our defensive problems in regards to transition are actually off turnovers, not off live ball turnovers at, after rather than off rebounds. Um the, you know, live ball turnovers were 18th in the league defending that. Uh, half court were 11th in the league after a made shot, and overall we're 10th. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's – we still do a pretty darn good job after a defensive rebound of building that wall for the most part of the season. At least this year we're the fifth-best team in the league at it. We keep teams holding the ball the fifth longest. There's still a lot of things we do really well in that regard. All right, well, a lot of those things should rear their head uh, Saturday night against Memphis and get a win and start uh, turning the ship around. Cause... Yeah, I mean, the, the, you go just take a second and look at offensive and defensive ratings, and, you know, we just there's four teams in the league that I think are top ten in both. We just played all of them. The defensive ratings of the teams the next seven games we play are 29th, 28th, 22nd, 27th, um, 14th, Minnesota's the best, at, or Minnesota's at 13th, and Orlando's at 10th. So we don't play a team in the top nine. We only play three teams in the middle, and we play four teams that are not very good. And the offensive rankings of the teams we play coming up are 29, 28, 26, 24, some bad, 21. Some bad we teams. Should get, you know, yeah. we, should, we should get defensively healthy here. David, thanks for a few minutes. David Locke, he'll be on the call. Right. Grizzlies and Jazz I'll Saturday arrange, I'll arrange for PK to be back now. Okay. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Yach's been in there working on the technology for an hour. I don't think he believes that. But, hey, if it works, why not? All right, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, the Jazz and the Grizzlies.